Would you open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9, verses 37 to 45, as we continue in our study through the Gospel of Luke. I don't know if you remember, um, not last year, but the year before in our global impact uh, giving campaign, part of uh, the gifts that we gave, the, the partners that we were investing in, one was leadership development in Central Asia. And these were our International Mission Board partners in Central Asia who were using a leadership platform to share the gospel with Afghan men. And many people came to saving faith in Christ. And one of the church planters that was associated with this, they were seeing revival. In fact, it was noted that the Afghan church was one of the fastest growing churches on the globe. So when we talk about our brothers and sisters who are suffering under that kind of oppression, we're talking about brand new believers who have trusted in Christ and now are laying down their lives for Christ. And so let's remember, thank you, Andrew, for sharing and for praying for the church, the universal church, our brothers and sisters all over the globe who are suffering like we don't know anything about. So let's remember when they hurt, we should hurt. When they rejoice, we should rejoice. Amen? But just know that you had a part, that your giving and partnership in the gospel made a difference, and the gospel made an impact in a country now that is ravaged and is in experiencing incredible persecution. So, would you stand please for the reading of God's Word, Luke chapter 9, verses 37 to 45. On the next day when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met him. And behold, a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son. For he is my only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth, and it shatters him and will hardly leave him. And I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. And while he was coming, the demon threw him to the ground and convulsed him. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. But while they were all marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand this saying, and it was concealed from them so that they might not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. Would you pray with me? 
Father in heaven, we come to you in the name of Jesus, and we ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would open our eyes that we may behold wonderful things from your law. Lord, let us see the majesty of Jesus today, and I pray that as we see, we will be changed. Lord, we want to be changed more and more into the image of our Savior, so would you do that by the Spirit working through the Word of God? for your glory, for our good. And Lord, I pray according to your sovereign will that if there's anyone who has not yet trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, God, would you have compassion? Would you pour out your mercy today? Would you save sinners for the glory of our Christ? And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Several years ago, we were in... Lower Galilee, just south of the Sea of Galilee, in a retirement community, we were meeting with a group of senior adults in a retirement community. We had a team from the church, and we were sharing the gospel, sharing our testimony, and we were really teaching English to a group of senior adults who were not very confident in their English, and so we had conversation and they were asking us questions and we had sung a song in their gathered assembly a little bit earlier and it was simple, it remembers old probably from the 90s, but it was open the eyes of my heart, open the eyes of my heart Lord, I want to see you. I want to see you high and lifted up, shining in the light of your glory pour out your power and love. We were, we were singing that, and they were just baffled by what that meant. And they asked us, what did you mean when you said, open the eyes of my heart? How does the heart have eyes? And it was this great dis discussion. I mean, you can imagine almost like, you know, the, the, the way the rabbis talk and argue and, and this conversation going back and forth. But they were just, just intrigued by the idea of open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you high and lifted up. What's interesting is 2,000 years ago, that is what Luke wants us to do. When he's writing this, he wants us to see Jesus high and lifted up. And as he writes this account, it's also accounted in Matthew and Mark. We're going to talk about that just a little bit later. And Luke's emphasis is a little bit different. It's real simple. He just wants us to see Jesus in his majesty. The sermon is entitled, The Majesty of God Revealed in Jesus. I want us to see three things. Number one, the desperate cry of the Father. Number two, the devastating condition of the child. And number three, the driving concern of the gospel writer. So let's look, first of all, the desperate cry of the Father. Verses 37 to 38, on the next day when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met him, and behold, a man from the crowd cried out, teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. 
This is a desperate cry of a father who is broken. Having lived with his child, we don't know how old the child is, but we learn from the other gospel writers that he has been afflicted since infancy, since a very young age. The teacher, or he says, teacher, I beg you, I'm pleading with you to look at my son. And this word to look at means to, to look upon him with concern, to have pity upon him, to have mercy upon him. Lord, would you look upon him with compassion? For he is my only child. Luke is the only one that mentions that he is the only child. In fact, it's literally, he is my one and only. If you remember back to the widow at Nain, when Jesus healed or raised her son from the dead, Luke tells us that it was her only son. He's giving us details to show us the the desperateness The cry of the father, Luke uses a unique word here for, I beg you to look at my son for he is my only son. And the the cry when it says that a behold, a man from the crowd cried out, this is the word that is used throughout the scriptures of crying out to God. In fact, we see it in Genesis chapter 4, and the Lord said, Why, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground, speaking of oppression and those who have been afflicted by somebody else. Or, and we see it in Exodus, in the law. Exodus chapter 22, if you mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry. And if he cries to me, I will hear for I am compassionate. See, it's when the people cry out to God, he demonstrates his compassion. He has mercy. And that's what this man is asking of Jesus. Would you have mercy? We see it in Judges when the the people cried out to the Lord and he sent them a deliverer. And he delivered them. He heard their cry and their distress. In the New Testament, James uses the same word in James chapter 5, verse 4. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your field, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. The cries of the afflicted, the cries of those who are oppressed. The Lord hears and moves and looks upon with compassion. And this father is asking in desperation, would you look upon my son? For he is my one and only. Have you ever been desperate like that? For you cry out to the Lord. You see, there's no hope. There's, there's nothing that you can do. You've tried everything. And you look to the Lord because He's the only one that can deliver. He's the only one that can save. He's the only one that can help. And this man was desperate. But the condition of his son is devastating. Look at Number two, the devastating condition of the child, verse 39, just one verse. 
And behold, a spirit seizes him and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and shatters him and will hardly leave him. Luke gives us more details about what this demon is doing to this child than any of the other gospel writers. Maybe his interest is because he's the beloved physician and he cares about these details because he knows how horrible this child's condition is. All of the verbs that he chooses in this verse are present, active, indicative, meaning that it is continuous. It is relentless. This demon won't leave him alone, and it is crushing him. A spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out. This word for cry out is not the same word that the father was crying to the Lord. It was, this is a word that it could be used as shrieking, screaming. And he suddenly shrieks and suddenly screams. I mean, we're, this is scary. It's terrifying. You see a child that's seized by the demon and shrieking like that to everyone around. But think about the child, how terrifying that is to the child. The demon's attacks were sudden, unexpected. They came out of the blue and overcame him. And they were violent. Violent attacks. Look at this. It seizes him and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth. Literally, it convulses him with foam. It's violent and it shatters him. And the word means to smash or to crush or to grind or to break down. It's violent and destructive. Andrew, you read John chapter 10 right before the verse where you started. Jesus said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and life to the full or life abundant. The purposes of Satan are destructive and violent and death. But Jesus has come to set the oppressed free, to set those who are Possessed by demons, oppressed by demons, free. In fact, that was one of the clear evidences that Messiah has come, that he was going to set the captives free. Remember back when John the Baptist was in prison and he sent messengers to Jesus? Ask him, is he the one? Is, is he the one that we've been looking for? I think that he is, but I just want to be sure. And, and Jesus healed the sick. He delivered the oppressed. He worked mightily right there in healing and delivering right there. And then he sent the messengers back to John the Baptist and say, tell him what you have seen. This is the Messiah. This is the Lord incarnate in the flesh who has come to deliver. These attacks were sudden, violent, destructive, and persistent, convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and shatters him and will hardly leave him. It won't leave him alone. Devastating 
Absolutely devastating, unrelenting, miserable, destructive. Personally, I can't even imagine. So I might even look at circumstances in my own life that have been devastating, and you might look at circumstances in your life that have been devastating. And we can look to this text and say, if the Lord can heal a child like this in devastating circumstances, then he could care for me. He can deliver me. He can deliver anyone. We've seen that over and over, that the Lord has authority over the wind and the waves. He has authority over sickness and disease. He has authority over demons to rebuke, and they obey. The desperate cry of the father, the devastating condition of the child. But let's move to verses 40 to 45. Number three, the driving concern of the gospel writer. Look at verse 40. And I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and to bear with you? Bring your son here. While he was coming, the demon threw him to the ground and convulsed him. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. Verse 43, and all were astonished at the majesty of God. Now, why do I say the driving concern of the gospel writer? Because Luke is doing something different. He records this story just like Matthew and Mark do. Mark's recording of the story is 16 verses. And Luke's account is much shorter. Matthew's account is short too, but it doesn't have the same focus that Luke does. In fact, neither of the other gospel writers mention what Luke mentions in verse 43, and all were astonished at the majesty of God. All of the, each of the other stories end with an issue of faith. Mark ends this way, verse 29 of chapter 9, and he said to them, this cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. And what Mark is dealing with is Faith and their lack of faith and their lack of power being connected to lack of faith and their lack of power being connected to a lack of prayer. This kind can be, cannot be driven out except by prayer. They couldn't drive it out. He's showing that they weren't praying. They weren't praying effectually. They weren't depending upon the Lord. They had unbelief in their hearts. They weren't, they didn't have faith. And Jesus was rebuking the crowds and rebuking the disciples for their lack of faith. In Matthew chapter 17, the same thing. Verse 20 of chapter 17, he said to them, because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you. Matthew and Mark are dealing with the lack of faith and expanding upon that. 
Luke isn't dealing with that. He ends with this, and all were astonished at the majesty of God. That's what he wants us to focus on. In fact, he ties together this account with the the Mount of Transfiguration, what happened when Peter, John, and James went up on the mountain with Jesus. And we see this in chapter 9, verse 32. They saw his glory. They saw his glory. They saw his majesty. They saw his brightness. Literally. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16 and following, Peter says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. They they saw his glory. They saw his majesty. Remember, his clothes were shining brighter than they could ever even imagine. He was transfigured before them. They saw his glory. In Jesus' high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, says this, beginning in verse 1, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Watch this, verse 5. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. If you think about when, when Jesus But when the Son of God took on human flesh, Philippians 2 says that he emptied himself. We know that he didn't empty himself of his divinity. God took on human flesh in the second person of the Godhead. He disrobed himself of glory He came as a humble servant. In fact, Isaiah chapter 53 says, For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. He didn't have a majesty that would attract people to him. He looked like every other man. He came as a servant. But on that mount, 
Peter, James, and John saw his majesty. They got a glimpse of his glory, the glory that he had before he took on human flesh and the glory that he will have forever and ever when we see him in his glory. Amen? They got a glimpse of it. But Luke wants us to get a glimpse of it in his mighty works. Luke wants us to see the majesty of God revealed in Jesus, first of all, in his power and authority, that he is God, that he has come to deliver, he has come to rescue, and he has all power and all authority. And when he speaks, the demons flee. When he rebukes the demons, they're cast out, they obey The driving concern of the gospel writer is the majesty of God revealed in Jesus. And that's why he says in verse 43, and all were astonished at the majesty of God. We've already seen him do this in Luke chapter 8 when he heals the the man with the demon in verse 8 or verse 39 of chapter 8 where he says to the man who he has healed, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Connecting those two together and in the same ways connecting the transfiguration and this account right here. They saw his majesty and his glory, the glory of Jesus, And then verse 43, and all were astonished at the majesty of God. His power and authority. Luke wants us to see his glory. Do you see the glory of Jesus in his power and authority over everything? Because it's possible to miss it. You see, the people, look at the second part of verse 43, but while they were all marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, everybody was marveling at what he was doing. And yet not everybody was following Jesus. Not everybody was convinced that he was the Messiah, that he was God in the flesh, come to rescue sinful men. They were amazed by his powerful works. They were amazed by the majesty of God. They just didn't make the connection. See, it's possible to wonder, to marvel at the majesty of God in the miracles and completely miss the presence of God in the person of Jesus Christ. The three disciples saw his glory on the mountain. But again, Luke wants us to see his glory in his mighty works, his power, his authority, and his concern for broken people. So it's not only in his power and authority that the majesty of God is revealed in Jesus, but also in his compassion. Watch this. The second part of verse 42, but Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. He healed the boy. 
and he gave him back to his father. Do you remember that? We, we saw that also in the account of the widow at Nain where Jesus gave her only son back to her whom he had raised from the dead. His, his majesty is revealed in his power over the demon, his ability to heal in contrast with his disciples' inability. But yet also in his compassion, he healed the boy. He restored his life. He set him free from this oppression. And he gave him back whole to his father. You see, he did look upon the man and his situation and the child and his situation with concern. The man cried out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son. And Jesus did. And his glory, his majesty was revealed in his power, his authority, his compassion, but thirdly, his suffering. Look at verses 43b to 45. But while they were all marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand this saying, and it was concealed from them so that they might not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. Jesus says, the Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. Now, this is a sovereign deliverance delivered. God the Father is delivering him into the hands of sinful men who even in their sin and their hate and their rebellion against God are going to be accomplishing the very purposes of God in the crucifixion of Christ. One of my friends, Kelly Graham, wrote a song called His Blood Redeemed. And listen to these words. This is in a bridge in the song. He says, Foolish works of men, blinded by their sin, crucified God's Son, but He rose again. Shameful deeds of men in a sovereign hand of our God above worked for his great plan. Jesus tells his disciples that the Son of Man is getting ready to be delivered into the hands of men. And they didn't understand this saying. And it was concealed from them so that they might not perceive it. Luke is telling us here that God is withholding this information from them, the understanding that they need, it will be revealed at the right time. But right now, they don't understand it. They didn't understand a suffering servant, a suffering Christ, 
And at the end of the Gospel of Luke, in Luke chapter 24, verse 45, he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures and said to them, thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. They didn't understand it at the time, but they would understand it in time that Christ had to suffer. Before he entered his glory, he had to suffer, even as Paul tells us in Philippians 2, to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus. Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. See, he was exalted in the resurrection and he was exalted to the right hand of the majesty on high in the ascension. But he had to go through suffering and crucifixion and the grave in order to pay the penalty of our sins and to set us free from death, hell, and the grave. This is the driving concern of the gospel writer, the majesty of God revealed in Jesus. Yes, he's dealing with the unbelief of the disciples. Yes, he's dealing with these things, but it's secondary to this concern. He wants us to see the majesty of Jesus. And really, when we gather together to hear the word of God, we want to see Jesus high and lifted up. That's our main concern. We want to preach Christ in Him crucified and raised from the dead. We want to preach Christ in His glory and His majesty. Because that's our hope. Everything else pales in comparison. All of our circumstances, all of the difficulties that we go through, when we see Jesus in His majesty, it puts everything into perspective. So my challenge to us before we go, don't miss Jesus Christ in his majestic glory, in his power to heal, his authority over demons, sickness, disease, nature. Don't miss his glory in his compassion towards the father and towards the child. In his compassion towards you. And don't miss the glory of Jesus in his suffering. Jesus Christ came to die so that sinners like us could be set free through his sacrifice and his resurrection from the dead. Let's see Jesus in his glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your great love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We thank you for demonstrating your love. We thank you that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son and that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Lord, 
thank you for setting us free from sin, from the oppression, from the sickness, from the disease of sin. Lord, I pray that we would walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called. I pray that we would keep our eyes lifted up, that we would see King Jesus in all of his glory. We would keep that our focus in everything that we do. Lord, again, open the eyes of our hearts that we may see you in all your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.